Yeah, thank you, Mark. And once again, good day, everyone. Uh, good to connect with you this way. And if I can be thankful, one thing about the COVID is, is really technology that it allows us to connect like this globally. So um, let's turn to our scripture together. Um, I'd like to share uh, this message from Acts chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Um, let me share uh, the scripture here with you. But if you can turn with me together with, with your own opening with, or your own Bible, that would be great. All right. So, okay. Can, can you see my screen here? Okay. All right, so I'd like to talk about uh, under the title of the Spirit-Filled Church. And as you read this scripture, <laughs> maybe you wonder what does that to do with the Spirit-Filled Church? But I hope you will understand and get to this. Um, why am I, I, I put this uh, title to today? Uh, so let's uh, start reading uh, verse 1, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. All right. So, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it uh, that you have contrived the, uh, this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed, uh, breathed, breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Uh, verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came, and they, uh, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of those things. <laughs> you, you know, you may be surprised that I chose this uh, text, passage today. Uh, the first time meeting you, uh, first, you know, as a guest speaker, what is this text? And exactly, I was debating in my mind or in my head, uh, is this right? But I felt this might be the right uh, passage, not because you have this kind of problem in your church. It's simply because this passage really encouraged our church also. We are going through uh, the series of acts in our church. And uh, when I heard from Mark that you are going through also a book of uh, uh, 
the Gospel of Luke, I thought there could be a connection. And, and there's something that I can maybe share with you from this passage. So um, I would like to share um, about the Spirit-filled Church under three headings here. Uh, first, I would like to talk about falsehood in our community. Second, uh, uh, I would like to talk about testing the Lord. And third, grace-filled church. So I stopped sharing this screen. I just uh, stopped using a, a screen now. So I hope you can take these things into your note. So um, what was your impression of this scripture? Did you have any questions? I'm sure you did have a lot of questions. And, uh, and I had a, probably, as I went through this uh, text, I had a, probably three main questions. First one, maybe I, I ask myself, why did they lie about their money? Is this passage about generosity or what was really issue here? And second, I also ask myself, why did God kill them? I mean, I understand if this was an Old Testament setting, but this, come on, we are in the New Testament, right? And we are under grace. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that uh, in the Old Testament, people weren't under the, under the grace. But why? Why did God kill them? And third, probably this is the most important question. Would this happen to me? Will this happen to me? Okay. So, um, so if you didn't have this kind of question, probably you are super theologian and worked out everything. And you have no problems. You, are, you, don't, you don't even need to hear my message today. Or... Maybe you are not honest enough and lying to yourself, which probably would not go well for you if that's the case. So, <laughs> so uh, first, I think I would uh, like to pay attention. Here's a few important things, the context that I need to explain. Uh, here, uh, there's a, a, another context before this chapter, chapter 5, and the end of the chapter 4. Uh, we are told in uh, verse 32 to verse 37 that the church was really going well. I just read it out to you. Now the full of member of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common and with great power and apostles were giving their testimony to the resur resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a, a needy person among them for us. And many as were well, owners of the lands and the houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they were sold and uh, laid it uh, at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as the, uh, any had need. And uh, then verse 6, it, it talks about Barnabas so selling everything and again brought it to apostles' feet. So in that context, probably you can start imagining what's going on here okay i'm already going to the first point okay um so let's imagine with our creative mind imagine that suddenly mark in your church this morning sold his house sold his land and bring all the offering right and and everybody started respect for pa the pastor mark not because of just his, his glorious beard, but he's just of generosity and his wonderful act of, you know, leadership on all these things, right? And some of you sitting, watching this, and seeing how 
Pastor Mark is praised. And as you go back, right, to your home after the service, and maybe you talk to your wife. Hey, wasn't that wonderful how Pastor Mark did today? And wasn't that wonderful how he got praised and recognized as a great leader? And, and you know, similarly, the Barnabas is start becoming a great leader later on. And he started to think, would it be nice to do the same? To bring in the same way the, the, the whole offering, a whole all our property. And, but we don't have to say that this is everything that we sold. We can maybe keep some of money to ourselves uh, so that we can go on holiday after COVID finishes. Or maybe you can buy some new car that you always wanted. Hey, honey, maybe you can go to the Costco and buy whatever you want. And maybe your wife agrees. That's a wonderful idea, right? Then <laughs> you come to church to bring offering. So a little bit, maybe you can imagine the temptation of what's going on here. There may be the motivation behind. Maybe the problem is not the, the stinginess or maybe lack of generosity. Maybe something more is happening. Maybe they wanted the recognition. They wanted to see their church members, to see them as a really important person, a valuable, or see as a, a great leader. It's quite interesting to pay uh, attention to uh, a context of this, uh, this uh, the historical uh, time. There was actually, in this time, there's a lot of uh, new organization was rising um, uh, in this era, uh, new clubs even, uh, new even cults uh, and a strange organization going, going around. Uh, uh, and it was quite normal for this organization to ask for a membership fee. And often, uh, whoever gave the most was recognized as an important person, or they uh, started getting a certain benefit in, in the, the, the community or new organization. So it is possible that maybe they were carrying this kind of mindset to the church, thinking that they can gain important position in the church or uh, get respected. So the main problem, the offense to God, as Peter pointed out, hey, you did not just lie to man, but to God, was the problem was that they portrayed themselves as a generous, praiseworthy Christian and, and a wishing to be treated as Barnabas got treated. So using almost like a spirit-filled image, or a mature Christian image, to gain what they actually long for. Basically, self-centered motivation. Um, this kind of thing happens actually, sadly, also in Japanese churches. And uh, In Japan, in a small churches, it's, it's actually common uh, to uh, put the, a list of who gave how much every month. You know, and in the back of the uh, church. Isn't that crazy? Imagine that. <laughs> and actually, those people who gave the most get to become the elders of the church. Even though you don't go to church, oh yeah, maybe you turn uh, up uh, in the Christmas time only, you still get to have that position just because you gave a lot. Isn't that crazy? But that's some, this is a reality that we bring that kind of idea uh, to our our church culture. So 
here again, the attempt, their attempt was to use the appearance of the spirit filmmas for their own self-centered purpose and gain of recognition, trying to deceive other Christians and showing that they uh, uh, to gain the, the attention and prestige over honesty and humility. That's why Peter basically pointed out the problem as lying to the Holy Spirit. Here's another thing that we can maybe uh, uh, pay attention to. This word in verse 2, uh, kept back, is used actually ex- explicitly in this uh, Luke's gospel. Uh, it, there's no such expression in other uh, part of uh, a New Testament. Maybe only once, so altogether twice. But this translation, the Greek translation of Hebrew, actually is there's a similarly mentioned in a Joshua chapter 7. And if you go to Joshua chapter 7, it's a very identical, similar story about a story about Achan. Um, so I just give you a brief summary of the Joshua chapter 7. Um, so there was the army of Joshua uh, trying to conquer the, 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 pro, the new land in the promised land, right? Again, to do with the land and all the things. And, and the commandment from God basically was to not to keep any treasure for themselves, but to destroy completely whatever the uh, the, the war uh, trophy or whatever the treasure they gained from this battle, they were to annihilate everything and give it to God. But Achan, one of the soldiers, secretly kept some of the treasure, and the whole community didn't know this. And, and so, as you know, this secret was kept. They went into another battle. And they were supposed to win this battle easily, but they got defeated and they ran back uh, to their camp. So obviously Joshua was shocked that this happened and uh, really uh, complained to God or cried out to God, God, why did, did you uh, let this happen to us? And God basically pointed out, hey, you have actually secret sin. Someone is keeping a treasure, which I commanded not to do so. As a result, uh, God had to basically bring a discipline to the whole community. There, each tribe and clan was uh, narrowed it down, and uh, and finally, uh, the family of Achan was stoned uh, uh, or killed, got killed completely. Very harsh. It's very bloodshedding. Really, a challenging story. But you can see that he's a similarity. So I found a few similarities here. A few important probable lessons that we can learn. First, the ball story showed that God cares and he's serious about the purity of whole community. Not just for individual Christians, but whole com- as a whole community. So God expects and wants every member it's hard to dedicate it to God. Not just not, not just one person doing, but whole community, that's a whole community. Right? God kept telling Joshua. That how uh, there's a devoted things kept in your community. So obviously God wants whole heart of community devoted to God. Both stories shows that God does not tolerate any small little sin in the uh, community because it contaminates like a disease spread. And he won't, he's serious about keeping his people pure and holy. And not only that, God holds accountable 
for individual sin, individual sin for as a whole community. So it's not just an individual problem here, but God sees us also as a corporate whole community. This is very hard for us, especially in our modern people who live in a modern culture, right? It's all about individualism. In Asia, it used to be more this corporate idea of responsibility, but this is so it's not just one way or the other. It's both together. We need to learn how to approach our community. But also, it shows that our effectiveness of our church could be evangelism, it could be discipleship. All these things is also related to our sin, individual sin condition too. And if we are honest with ourselves, we entertain these kind of similar thoughts as we relate to a church, right? Sometimes we have a selfish, selfish motives. I know myself. I sometimes uh, the ministry itself can be my own idol, feeding my own confidence and ego, thinking that if I preach well, even though I have this temptation today, this morning, if I preach well, then I'll be liked by King's Cross people. Right? So I have to be honest. And I have to ask myself, why then am I still alive? Right? Why are you still alive? If this is the standard of God, of how he deals with his people. So have you noticed that even our question now changed from, would this happen to me? And I guess this question itself is quite self-centered. But, but we should be asking, how come that we are still alive if this is how he deals with his people? So this automatically brings us to the, the actually, probably attitude of thankfulness. And then they start thanking that, thank God that he, this is not a norm of how he deals with people right now. Right? Because if it was, our church will be much smaller. And probably our church will be uh, a pastorless. So I'm really thankful. I'm even thankful that our church have an offering box in the back so that these kind of things wouldn't happen in the front. So again, sometimes I think how we see, see things is completely wrong. It's already self-centered. That Actually, this is a, a, a picture of that we should be even more thankful and realize the God's grace. And I can see, you know, after this, there's a, a much worse situation in the history of the church in the current. Much worse problem of sin, uh, much more uh, worse hidden problems, but still God patiently deals with them, right? So this is a message that God is patient with us. God is gracious with us. So I think we should be making sure here that we will not make a, a same mistake. And uh, Luke's, I think I am thankful that Luke's honest with this problem because, you know, he has been portraying all this great side of our early church, right? Wonderful unity, generosity, miracles happening, great preaching, gospel-centered church forming here. And if he wanted to show the rosy, flowery side of the church, and he probably eliminated this story, right? But he had 
honesty. He was honest enough to put this story. I said, well, early church wasn't all wonderful, rosy, happy, chappy. No, this is reality of the church and that we need to deal with. And therefore, we need to learn. And this is one of the church challenges, I think, today. Uh, in this book of Acts, three things uh, uh, measure three challenges. First one is persecution. The second one is this, the internal church sin issue. The third one, uh, John Stock called it as a destruction. So it was the church leadership structure uh, issue, so internal structure issue that could actually uh, deviate their attention to the wrong things. You know, they were saying, hey, it's not right for us uh, to stop uh, preaching the gospel, focusing on the truth of the gospel. So these three things can affect our church growth and effectivity. So uh, moving to the second um, point, how can we? How can we learn from this that we will not fall into the same thing? Um, so let's go back to the scripture here. Uh, I already mentioned this. That, so Peter mentioned that, uh, that, that his problem or uh, that this couple's problem was that their heart was filled with Satan, which is very strong uh, uh, a statement here. Um, so Luke, again, uh, mentions this expression in, in his former book, uh, which was a gospel of Luke, uh, Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 3. He used this expression, similar expression, to describing Judah's condition. So he says, uh, Satan entered into Judas, Luke chapter 22, verse 3. And obviously we know that he went to betray Jesus because of money. And he hanged himself after that. So here's again a few parallel, parallelists as I compared between this story and uh, Judas. A few similarities. Both filled by Satan or and, uh, Satan entered. Uh, they both ended up being dishonest before God. Both was to do with money. Uh, they both ended up dead. Right? So again, <laughs> a few questions that we need to, uh, maybe we can be asking. First of all, I thought, is it possible for Satan to enter Christian heart? Or, or if you feel a believer's heart? Is it possible for a believer to have that even kind of condition? Were they even saved, Judas and this couple? I cannot answer that. Only God knows. Right? So if this is the case, why were they even blamed? You know, you can say that, okay, this is Satan's fault. You know, as it is a Satan to be blamed and punished. Why did they get killed? Right, but here's a flaw that I noticed. First, Peter asked Ananias, why did Satan fill your heart? But then he asked, uh, after that, he said, why is it, is it that you have contrived this deed uh, in your heart? So here the word, uh, going back to the, the, the uh, fill, uh, Satan filling your heart, the, this word can also translate as a fulfill. Fulfill. Uh, so fulfill the promises or plans or everything. So um, I sense this is the right way to uh, interpret. Satan can fill your heart and even thoughts and your soul with, with ideas, wrong ideas that kind of attempt your desire, 
So if you have the longing for uh, importance, longing for self the recognition of, by people, people can put all the thoughts, tempt you with your heart, your heart with these things. But it's still our responsibility to take that and make decision to go with that plan or not. So I can imagine, yes, Satan can tempt us, the believers, us the believers, with all sorts of thoughts, with a voice, like he did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter two, uh, chapter three. But it was still, it is still our decision to go with it or not. And Judas was the same, I'm sure. All right. Uh, Peter goes on uh, in a verse seven here, uh, uh, chapter five, verse seven in, in Acts. He brings this issue in a, in a different way, uh, in a different light. So uh, he, uh, as he talked to uh, uh, Sapphira, he says this, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Here already I was quite shocked. Is that it's, he's a, a two different parallels going on. Uh, I, I think Luke likes to have always this parallel. You know, he first showed this Barnabas and this couple, uh, uh, the picture of a field with the Holy Spirit and a picture of a field with the Satan. And now a different unity here happening. Those people who have a unity agreement with the church, with the gospel, with grace. And on the other hand, agreeing with a, a plan of Satan, the seed of Satan and with his wife, right? That's uh, uh, Ananias. So you can see all this, this seed for start forming another wrong community within the church. And that's why God was serious about this. He wanted to stop right away in this spirit-filled church, in our other church. Right? But then uh, uh, Peter describes, uses, uh, sorry, the Luke uses this word intentionally, test, testing the Lord. Um, so this expression is very common in the Old Testament. Probably you can right away relate in a story of Exodus, uh, chapter 17, or Deuteronomy 6, 16. Uh, God directly commanded not the Israelites not to test the Lord, his patience and kindness. So what does that mean to test the Lord? What's going on here? This word, test or tempt, is basically means... Um, uh, just a moment. Uh, yeah, means me basically means to see what the other person would think or what they would do. So it means uh, testing the Lord means basically testing that is that God is serious about His laws and His boundaries. It's like a you know when you if you're parents maybe you can understand this. Children test this <laughs> uh, your boundaries often, right? You say, don't touch this. Then as soon as they are told, don't touch this, with a smile, which, with a cheeky smile, they reaches their hand, right? Uh, even they, as they look at you. And it's a, often it's the first time. <laughs> Almost they are testing if you're serious or not. In that case, of course, as a parent, we have to say very firm, say, I told you. No, no is no. So with this kind of similar attitude, we often do that. And I think that's what Sapphira and also Ananias, they were testing God's patience. Even, can I 
get away with this kind of attitude or half-heartedness or self-centeredness. And God made it clear again, because this was the first case. Hey, you cannot mess with me. Again, this, this word testing, Jesus himself quoted the Old Testament scripture uh, uh, in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 12. Probably you covered this passage uh, text last week in your church. Um, so I don't want to go too much, too much into this. But basically, what was the temptation for Jesus? Was it, uh, uh, the, uh, how do you say, uh, was it the temptation about uh, for the food? That you wanted to eat so bad, it was a bad appetite or a position of power. I think the main temptation was this for Jesus was to use God privileged power, position, or whatever to use it for his own immediate gain. So he was tempted, right? To Solve his hunger with the molecules, you know, turning stone into uh, 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 turning uh, a stone into bread. He was also uh, was tempted to secure his own life by using his own power and a benefit through angel uh, supporting him. He was also tempted to, have, in a sense, have a shortcut to the top of. Becoming the king or top of the uh, uh, the whole world, whether he had to actually go through suffering, go along with the God's plan, but instead he was tempted to basically have an easy way and shortcut, and that's actually exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did, using his own their own again the spirit filled church environment, using that and tricking his own community for his self gain. But Jesus said, no, I will not tempt the Lord this way. So let's relate to this, our situation here this morning. Again, if I'm honest, I have the same problem. You know, I, I, I used to serve... Um, uh, a long time ago, uh, I was almost 10 years ago, um, I was serving in a mega church in Tokyo. Uh, one of the charismatic church, I was a pastor there for 10 years. And I was no way near gospel-centered. Um, I was fully using my position, my even as a, as a position of associate pastor. Uh, and I, I have to say that I was quite good at communicating in Japanese and preaching and making people laugh, making people cry, and thinking that I'm doing great things for God. I'm even part of this growing church, uh, and maybe first is growing church in Tokyo, and everybody is paying attention to our church. But one day, uh, it's a wrong, long story, so I will really cut it short, but you got basically turned the situation around, and basically I had to leave this church within one month. I got kicked out. And that moment, I had to face my own heart condition. First, I was shocked that I felt nobody. Right? So that means all my 
uh, identity and self-worth was connected to what I was doing. And I was shocked that I, my identity was not relied on God himself. And I had to go through this process of hitting a reality that, wow, actually, was I even Christian? And probably, yes, I was in, under good stress, but my motivation was completely wrong. I was using a ministry for my own self-glory. And graciously, God started to put me in the journey of uh, discover, rediscovering gospel. Uh, on the process, I met Mark, uh, met Simon, all the great guys, uh, uh, humbled me, uh, started really teach me what it is really to serve. So, how about you? Maybe we're using, I don't know, church environment for to maybe feel ourselves secure. I mean, again, it's not bad thing to be approved or or having a recognition or comforted by a church community. But if we are not having these things ultimately from God Himself, there's always temptation to drive ourselves with this kind of deceit. Maybe some of us have approached that the church thinking, you know, making trying to make church think that we could gain a status of recognition if we give more or serve more, or do things more. If we more, if we use the word gospel-centered more, then maybe I get approved by Pastor Mark. I don't know what that is. I think you only know your own heart. So, lastly, what can we do from this story? I think there's a few important lessons here. Uh, so last point, Gracefield Church. How can we have a community, create a community, not based on this kind of deceit, this kind of attitude, this kind of um, the Satan-filled hard attitude, but instead how can we have a spirit-filled, grace-filled attitude and community? First one is this. I think the accountability, I think we need to relook at accountability and transparency. Again, Peter said, you could have actually be honest about this. You could say, hey, I just want to give only 80% of it, 20%. I would actually buy a car. And it would have been totally okay. Right? So again, honesty is important here. Transparency, accountability. Are you honest with your actual feeling inside? Are you sharing? with your community, community group or cell groups that you are in? Are you honest enough? But also, I think um, it is church responsibility, as all together, not just a, a leader's responsibility. It's our responsibility to ask how we are doing, really. Not just, hey, good day, mate. Then, hey, bye. Everything's okay. No. How are you really doing? And if we notice any dangerous thoughts, thinking, I think we need to be honestly point out, hey, I think you are sort of not right. In love, of course. So again, it is not just individual responsibility to be transparent, but I think we need to encourage each other to confess sins 
And if we feel someone is not really an account of having accountability, I think we need to really encourage them too. So it is a church responsibility. Second, I think again, uh, this, uh, as well as it's a church responsibility, it is our individual or personal responsibility. Um, this concept of lying to the Holy Spirit relates to the topic of sinning against the Holy Spirit, which Jesus again talked about this in Matthew 12 and Mark 3 and chapter 12 too. Jesus describes it this way, uh, is that every sin or blasphemy will be forgiven. Everything can be forgiven, but any, any uh, uh, blasphemy or sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So it seems like it is a contradiction. Anything forgivable, but anything towards Holy Spirit is not forgivable. Again, I don't have a time to explain. It's a whole another message, but it simply means this. Any sin can be forgiven, but as Holy Spirit speaks to you with his voice, and help you to repent, and you still refuse, then this sin, sin will not be forgiven. It's like here, again, later on, Sapphira came after three hours, not knowing anything, I can see there's a grace, Peter, a providing grace, I mean, opportunity for Sapphira. Verse 8, asking, giving actually a chance to be honest here again, right? Tell me whether you sold the land for this much or not. It's a very small window of chance, but at least Peter gave it to her. But she couldn't take it. She didn't take it. She said, well, yeah. I saw that so much. She could have said, no, actually, that's not the whole truth. So, again, I'm sure, you know, Holy Spirit does doing to, this to us all the time. So, again, we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. So, finally, maybe you still feel, hey, I failed to obey the Holy Spirit still. So, how can we do that through the power of the gospel? You know, the, the name Ananias, ironically, it means God is gracious. Or God has given. Maybe all he needed was to remember the meaning of his own name. That God is gracious. God has already given everything he longed for. But I think this is a point, uh, you know, just as much as like Ananias, it was even his name, just as much as he, it, it, uh, having such a name didn't mean that he understood grace. It's for us the same. Just because we are a part of spirit-filled church doesn't mean that we are spirit-filled individually, right? Just because Judas was a part of Jesus's, you know, body group doesn't mean that he was probably a real disciple of Jesus. It doesn't mean that, that this, some of the comp complaining Israelites were part of God's people. It doesn't mean that they were really living as God's people. So the key is this. It's not enough just to know that God is gracious, but we need to experience it. It's like you know, it's one thing to know that honey is sweet. And maybe you may be able to explain scientifically with the knowledge, with the information, how, how is it that honey is sweet. 
but that is completely different from tasting honey or finding it sweet. It is, oh, I can say also maybe it is one thing to bring a horse to the river, but it is another thing to make him drink water out of that river. So with us, so is with us. We need to know. Not, we not just know, it's not enough just to know the grace of God, but we need to experience it. So, how do we do that? Again, his whole story points out to Jesus, right? Jesus is the one already that he brought everything. He gave, sold everything. He gave up everything. Right? I brought to God so that he can save us. And he should be the one the pro- being praised, accepted, recognized, right? And put in a great position, like Barnabas. But he's the one that he didn't get these things. When he was every right to receive this honor, but he got killed. He got despised and shamed on our behalf. He did not withhold anything. In that, even in that already, the act, all, all Ananias Sapphira need to remember was this truth. Romans 8, uh, verse 31 to 34 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he will Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any church against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed interceding for us. This theme goes on in a later chapter in Acts. But here, God did not spare, would even withhold or keep back anything. God gave all the treasure, the most important thing for us. If we can remember that and if we can experience that, maybe we will not fall into like the same mistakes Ananias and Sapphira. So our problem is not having more or even saving some to feel secure and happy in our life, but forgetting we have already abundantly in Christ, all we need. Lastly, I would just want to read this, First John 3.16. By this we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down ourselves for our brothers. If anyone with earthly possessions sees his brother in need, but withholds his compassion from him, how can we, how can the love of God abide in him? John is talking about walking in the light. So this is the way that we should be operating in our church. Remembering grace, experiencing grace, bringing a church discipline to one another and helping one another to remember Jesus. So I hope this message is encouraging to you, not discouraging to you. Um, and I hope that really... Um, I don't want to bring any trouble to Mark. <laughs> I, I don't hope that suddenly all of you bring all the problems to Mark <laughs> and are having to deal with. No, I think it's a responsibility, again, of each other, 
helping overcome. So let's continue to build a gospel-centered church.